This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series, and I'm your host, Steve Dale, with Dr. Tamara Grubb, who is a PhD, a veterinarian, and also boarded in, and I hope I get this right, Dr. Grubb, uh, a diplomate of the American College of Anesthesia and Analgesia, D-A-C-V-A-A, and I think some veterinarians don't even know that this this board specialty exists. That is so true, and you did get it right, veterinary anesthesia and analgesia, and a lot of people don't know we exist. We're kind of the uh, unsung hero sometimes of making sure the patient lives through that surgical procedure that the surgeon who everyone knows completes. And then we have this unique role in pain management as well, and not only acute pain management that you might think about associated with anesthesia, but also very many of us are quite invested and trained in chronic pain management. And that's where I want to begin. Uh, There was a point in time, veterinarians, some of the more seasoned veterinary professionals, uh, might recall when when they went to veterinary school or uh, where you learned, if you're a technician, if you went to school for that very important specialty, because I consider it a specialty in my view, uh, because we can't do without technicians and nurses, but, but technicians and nurses and veterinarians of a certain age may remember even when they were taught everything in the world except pain and pain management. And after surgery, dogs, as one example, were even, you you were told to keep the dog confined, which I guess there was a plus two in some ways, right? Uh, And this is well before your time, and I'm only talking about what I've been told. And, and, And clients were even told, well, don't worry about pain because your dogs and cats don't which today is something that's almost laughable. Oh, you're you're so right. What a travesty, right? And first of all, a caveat, I completely agree with you about the importance of veterinary technicians and nurses, and especially in the conversation that we're having today, and hopefully we can come back to that and recognizing animal change in animal behavior because the nurse plays such a big role there. But first, back to the travesty, and thank you for thinking that I didn't fit that era, but I, I do fit that era where we, it, and I agree, it's not that we were taught animals don't feel pain, it just never came up. We never talked about it. And we would treat animals with antibiotics in case we, we had some breach in in sterilization at the surgery site, but never treat them for pain management. And the problem is, there's a lot of problems with that, but one of the big problems is that pain is actually a medical issue. It it causes tremendous stress to the patient. And if you just think about stress, you could come up with medically adverse effects of pain. So stress, heart rate goes up, so we have tachycardia, hypertension, GI issues, the, we have immunosuppression, so the patients don't heal as well, and then untreated pain makes pain worse. And then we get into the behavior where we have maybe aggression or even just hiding something that changes that human-animal bond. And so obviously all of those are medical issues. They're also fear-free issues because pain changing that, changing the welfare of the animal, negatively impacting the welfare of the animal and changing that human-animal bond that's very important for fear-free as well. 
And fortunately, we have learned a lot about pain in the last several decades, and now we are much more, I'm going to use the word aggressive, but certainly at least more proactive at treating pain in animals. And I just look back at those days that you've just described, and I remember treating patients that were in obvious pain postoperatively with acepromazine. Yeah. And acepromazine is a very good sedative, but it is not an analgesic. But we were taught exactly as you say, just to keep animals confined. And back to your comment, it's not all bad because we certainly don't want them going crazy and re-injuring themselves. But really, medically, what we need to do is control the pain and then be good pet parents or pet doctors or pet nurses and also confine them, leash walk them, do whatever we need to do to to keep them from re-injuring themselves. But the real travesty is that a pet or an animal that is so painful that it doesn't move, so that was, you know, pain keeps animals from moving around, that animal is in excruciating pain. All right. So articulate, and I want to take step by step everything you said beginning here. And it may seem like a silly question. What is pain? Oh, that's a great question. There are no silly questions. And pain is, it's a great question. And, of course, a complicated answer because it's a complicated process and a complicated sensation. And it, it might not surprise you that the word pain comes from the Latin word pina, meaning suffering. Because if you've been in pain, you, were prob- you probably felt like you were suffering. And we can know that our, our patients, our pets, are also suffering. Pain is, when we talk about neuroanatomical and physiologic and pathologic processes, pain is, we call it a complex and multifaceted sensation. And that's because there is this pain pathway that's well-preserved across mammalian species. And what we mean by well-preserved is that it is very similar across mammalian species. It's not exactly the same, but very similar. And that allows us to know that animals feel pain, because this is just science. This pain pathway exists. And the pathway starts out in the periphery, wherever that pain stimulus starts, so in the animal's paw or in its abdomen or wherever that pain stimulus starts, And then it goes through a variety of nerves and receptors and the release of different neurotransmitters until it finally reaches the brain. And that process of taking that pain signal from the the periphery to the, the brain is the scientific description of pain. And pain actually serves a purpose, and pain protects us from injury. So if you step on a dog's paw and it says, ouch, and it moves its paw away really fast, it's protecting itself from ongoing injury. The problem is is that once that is done, once that protection is over, pain actually is what is described as serves no biologic purpose, meaning it's not, it's not protective anymore. So that ongoing suffering, that ongoing pain, that's the level of pain that we need to be treating in our patients. But, the, you know, it's such a hard, a hard thing to answer concisely. In human medicine, the definition is pain is what the patient says it is. In veterinary medicine, pain has to be what we understand it to be scientifically and then what we can see in our patients. 
but it definitely results in decreased quality of life. It's a negative animal welfare impact, and really, I would define it as suffering. All right. So when you're watching those National Geographic specials on television and you see a lion, or, or better, a pride of lions, right, and, and they're all circling 70 zebras, what they're trying to do, aside from looking at a very young, for a very young zebra, because it's easier to catch a very young zebra, but they're also looking for an animal that's injured. Now, the animals, the zebra, are naturally trying to say, I feel great. I look wonderful. You're going to choose the other guy over there. You're not choosing me, even if that zebra is in pain. That's kind of how nature works, I think. I want you to confirm that and then translate, okay, dogs and cats are still, dogs too, even somewhat hardwired, and for sure cats, not to tell us they hurt. You are so right. And when I see those lions circling those zebras, I have to tell you, I changed the channel. (laughs) (laughs) But you're so right about what those lions are are looking for and also what that means to us as veterinarians or veterinary nurses or or pet owners is that animals evolutionarily are, I like the way you put that, they're hardwired to hide pain because they are from wild wild animals, as you mentioned, and okay, not our pets that are sitting right here at our homes, but historically, they were all wild animals, and predators were looking for the weakest person in the bunch, as you've described, and pain can be a weakness. Maybe the animal is lame, maybe it's so painful it's just not really aware of its surroundings, so it doesn't see the predator, but that weakness meant that you might be prey instead of predator. And even though we are no longer predators for our pets, our pets are not our prey, they are hardwired to do that, to hide pain from us, because it could be a weakness. And when they were wild animals, that obviously served them well. It had a really good purpose. Unfortunately, now that they are our patients and our pets, it's quite detrimental, because the animal doesn't show pain, the pet owner, and there are still some veterinarians that say, okay, the animal's not in pain because they're not showing any pain, when really they're just hiding that pain. So what that means now to them, this detriment, is that they don't get the treatment that they need often because they're, they're hiding pain. Now, I think it's pretty well known that cats are really great magicians. They can mask illness, and nobody... Sometimes not even veterinarians unless, you know, the blood work can tell you some things. Some other tests that you do, certainly radiographs or ultrasounds can tell you things. But cats are really good at it. I think that's, as I said, fairly well addressed. I've gone to lectures where I've heard veterinarians even say, well, your dogs will tell you. I don't believe that's always true. Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. (laughs) Great assessment of cats. And I'm one cat shy of the crazy cat lady. I've got five (laughs) cats, so lots of cat behavior uh, or knowledge to share. But you're right, dogs, you know, I used the example earlier of stepping on a dog's paw and it says, ouch, and it moves away. And quite frankly, a cat would do that as well if you stepped on its paw, that immediate intense acute pain. It actually probably would bite you and scream, not Maybe. just move away, but it would let you know. And again, that's what we call protective pain. That's normal pain, or it's called physiologic pain or adaptive pain. It's normal pain. We need that for survival. 
But once that pain has gone beyond that survival period, even dogs often hide pain. So let's just say with that, that injury, there was some ongoing pain. Unless you saw that dog limping, it's no longer going to show it to you, right? It's not going to go, oh, 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 you hurt me. Or if it has something, abdominal pain, for instance, that it can really hide. And we do think animals have headaches. There's no reason anatomically or neurologically that they wouldn't. And have you ever known your dog to have a Headache? Well, that's a great. My dog. So that's a great, great. They still hide pain, and you know that dogs are are more like people than cats. Cats are from outer space, and they know that. (laughs) But different dog breeds will show different levels of pain. So, for instance, I have a border collie, and if she's painful, she's going to let you know. She's still going to go out and work her sheep, but she will come in holding her paw up if it hurts. We also have a Labrador, and that dog will will fetch a ball, fetch and fetch and fetch and fetch until the pads of its feet are bleeding, right? And that's obviously painful, but it will not stop. So we have to take a little bit into account, too, about breeds and behavior of those breeds. And back to cats, they're much more difficult because they don't mind being sedentary. So if they, if they are limping, you're not going to see it, whereas a dog you might. Cats, they're just totally happy to lay on the couch. So we ha- what we have to do, back to the behavior, is also look for signs of behavior in the cat. So in the clinic, maybe it's a cat that came in really happy and it's playing with people outside its cage, and then after you spay it, it's hiding in the back, trying to get under a towel, it's growling, right? There's some change in behavior, and that's an obvious one. They're usually not quite that obvious. And even at home, when owners say, my cat used to jump up into the windowsill to enjoy the sun, and it doesn't do that anymore. That's a change in behavior. But you are right, it's more subtle. And we have to look for it in both dogs and cats. We have to say, this patient might be painful or pet might be painful. What can we do to find that pain? So as a complete aside, you mentioned headaches. And, and I remember a reader a couple of years ago, several years ago, uh, said, my dog looks for a cool spot to press his head against the wall. Now, I'm not a veterinarian, so I consulted several veterinarians who said, if it's consistently a cool spot, what would you do if you had a headache? You'd look for maybe an ice pack and put it on your head. That's what this dog is trying to do was the thinking. So are you confirming that this answer actually at that time made sense? Oh, absolutely. And isn't it fascinating how they find a way to kind of treat themselves? And we see that kind of head pressing with, with things that we know cause pain in the head. So like brain tumors, we often see head pressing. Now, is it pain or is it the tumor causing abnormal behavior? I don't know. But could I say that it's potentially pain? Yes. So should we treat the pain? Yes. So absolutely, I say that it could have been pain. Now, you know, back to changes in behavior, though, and like this is a great example because changes in behavior can occur for a lot of reasons. And I use the brain tumor example. Maybe it's just a tumor. So what we have to say is, could this change in behavior, first of all, is it related to a painful insult or injury, or might it be pain, like this dog with the head pressing? And if the answer is yes to any of those questions, it might be related to pain, then we need to think about what would a pain management protocol look like. And sometimes we just ask the patient if it's painful So, for instance, with that dog, perhaps giving it a dose of an anti-inflammatory drug 
if that was not contraindicated in the dog, and watching for a change or a return to normal behavior. For, so for a cessation of the head pressing, that's how we, we sometimes diagnose pain, is asking them pharmacologically. Excellent. I'm glad I brought that up. And, you know, fear free for uh, clients, uh, pet owners that are listening, uh, pet parents that are listening, Fear Free Happy Homes has lots of information about it's fearfreehappyhomes.com. And I think it's it's truly important. We, we've been pet owners all our lives, and I think a lot of people think, well, I know my dog. Well, how many would pay attention even to the fact that their dog is doing that and then even correlate it to the fact that the dog is in pain, you know? So I think it's actually important that I brought that up. And here's what I want to ask you now. Two questions at once because I think they're kind of interconnected. So I began by saying, X number of years ago, veterinarians did this. Well, in defense of veterinary medicine, there are many more tools, many more analgesics, many more available today than, say, I'll take 15 years ago just as just a, a number out of the – it could be 20 years ago, it could be 12 years ago, whatever that number is. Uh, but there are far more choices so if a client is in hospital, say post-surgery, yes, there are obvious ways that, that are so obvious that we don't even need to talk about here that we would know that dog or cat is in pain. But beyond that, and I think the two questions are coordinated with one another, and I'm going to add a third layer onto this because I think you can handle it, and that is where, where does expressing our emotions, simply the veterinary nurse petting the dog, talking to the dog. Maybe the lights are dimmer for cats and dogs. Maybe some music is playing on the background. So does all of that gentle handling and also our emotional care, for lack of a better way of putting it, I know I'm asking you a hundred things at once here, but I think they're all correlated. Tell me. Uh, I completely agree. And, you know, you're fair, it's fair to ask me a hundred things at once because, as you can tell, I usually answer a hundred <laughs> things, even if you didn't ask it. Well, you're a professor, <laughs> of course. <laughs> exactly. Got to paint a picture. So you're you're correct on all of those points, and you know I agree. We weren't good at pain management as we've discussed you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And for one thing, is we didn't know that animals felt pain. We didn't really think about it. And for another thing, I completely agree, we didn't have a lot of drug choices, so we might have just ignored it. I don't know, it's, yeah, maybe pain, but hey, let's give an antibiotic because we had some choices there. But we have so many more choices now and so much more knowledge, and it is kind of funny, we still do have clients that come in that might have had a dog for 20 years, and so it was spayed 20 years ago, and it's gone on to doggy heaven, they have their new puppy, they come in, they want it spayed, and we say, okay, and here's the pain management uh, protocol or package, and they say, pain man, you didn't treat my dog for pain 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> We've learned a lot in 20 years. So, so many new options. We have more drug options. We know better how to use them, so we know better dosing, because um, a lot of the adverse effects I think we've seen in the past were dose-dependent. So we really have a better grasp at how to treat pain, and we we need to utilize more than one drug class. That's another advantage we have with, with current knowledge versus just one big dose of an anti-inflammatory drug. Let's give an anti-inflammatory drug and an opioid and maybe a little alpha-2 agonist, right? Let's combine all of these for better pain relief, and we call that multimodal analgesia. 
multimodal, more than one mode. Notice it's not called multi-drug analgesia. It's multimodal because that mode might be something like acupuncture or massage, right? It doesn't have to be a drug. So multimodal exactly encompasses what you just described, this compassionate care of the animal. And, and it, again, it brings us back to this huge relationship between pain management and fear-free because what we know about pain is that the sensation of pain is exacerbated by stress, like majorly exacerbated by stress. And you can imagine, I think we all know that pain causes stress, but then stress also exacerbates pain. So it's this vicious circle. So by this compassionate care, by decreasing the stress for the animal, using the music, the low lights, the pheromones, the gentle handling, the compassionate care from the nurses is huge. We can decrease the stress and that helps with the pain level. And we can also really see those changes in behavior that we talked about earlier because with the nurses providing that level of care, they get a better feeling of what that animal's pain level is or, or lack of pain, we hope. And also, you know, what I see in practices that are really good at doing that and addressing the patient's welfare as well as its pain and utilizing the nurses, what I see are those nurses having a voice in patient care, and they should, right? That's in human medicine, the nurse is the patient's voice. And it should be in veterinary medicine, too. So for the nurse to be able to say, we've done all of this compassionate care, and that animal is still not behaving normally, I think it's painful, and have that pet treated or that patient treated, that's huge in the overall quality of life of that pet. Excellent. Excellent answer. And you know what? We could go on, I think, for three days and continue talking about this because it is such an important topic. It truly is. And, you know, we didn't even touch on the fact, and I guess we are going to now because I'm bringing it up, uh, and that is that left untreated, and this is, you mentioned some of this at the beginning, left untreated, there are severe consequences, or left untreated appropriately, there are severe consequences for that animal that we're talking about recovery time. We're talking about additional illnesses, conceivably. We're talking about welfare issues, but we're also talking about pain. I, I've described it, and you're the expert, not me here, that it kind of left alone. It can go away, depending on what the cause is, but it can also grow like a snowball the way that it works. So can you touch on all those things as sort of a wrap-up? You're absolutely right. Pain, as, as we mentioned, is a tremendous stress to the body, and stress causes negative or adverse effects. And now that we know that, we can say medically that pain has to be treated if we want the patient to heal normally and heal without other adverse effects. This is medicine. Instead of sending home just antibiotics, if that's what the pet needs, we all know we decrease antibiotic use, but if that's what they need, we should send also analgesics. And if they don't need antibiotics, they definitely still need analgesics. So that is part of healing. And we try to, we try to stress that with the owners now. It's not just here is your anti-inflammatory drug post-surgical for your dog's pain. We say for pain and part of healing. It is very important that your pet get this medication as part of normal healing. Because as we mentioned, the, the pain pathway with ongoing undertreated or not treated pain, all of those things that we discuss can amplify. And you're right, if it's just mild pain, all of us have had a mild 
ankle sprain or a mild headache and we didn't have time to go treat it and it just went away. Of course, mild pain can go away on its own. Once that pain reaches moderate to severe, though, it causes more stress, adverse effects. It causes more immunosuppression, so that patient is less likely to heal well. Patients don't sleep well. They don't eat well, so neither of those are good for healing. And then we have what we call sensitization of the pain pathway, meaning that with this ongoing pain level, there are changes in that pain pathway. It is now not a normal pain pathway. So now we call it pathologic pain or maladaptive pain because it is a level of pain that is much more intense than is necessary for protection and causes more and more of these adverse effects that we just talked about. And then behaviorally, that's where we start to see patients that are maybe aggressive, right? So a dog comes in really painful, bites someone in the clinic, and we didn't realize that that animal was just in pain. So it really does snowball, as you put it. And so it's so important medically and also ethically. We said we would treat pain as part of the veterinarian's oath, that we would relieve animal suffering. And for the human-animal bond and for animal welfare, this list is getting longer, I realize, but there are so many important and scientific reasons to treat pain. And this amplification of pain is definitely one of them. And just to give you a quick example as a wrap-up, what we know from human medicine, and we presume it is the same in animals because, again, that pain pathway is well-preserved. We know that under-treated acute pain, so like after surgery or after trauma, is the number one predictor of the development of chronic pain from that injury or surgery. That's pretty big. That is really big, and that's, that's our take-home message, I guess. And, and Fear Free is an integral part of all this, which is why I presume you're on the Fear Free Executive Council. You are amazing, Dr. Grubb. I feel like I just got CE from listening to you, so thank you very much. You're very welcome, and now that you have the CE, it's... You're part of the uh, mission to go out and relieve animal pain. (laughs) I'll take it on. I accept the challenge. Hey, if you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access the new toolbox items, and find out all those additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And, of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification get more details on the same site under the veterinary about section and if you're a pet owner who just stumbled on this podcast learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com <laughs>